My name is Eli Avery. I am the son of Hal Avery. I am not under the influence of alcohol, medication, drugs, nor do I have a mental condition that would prevent me from admitting or confessing of my own free will. I killed Nancy Lowe. That's the third time I've ever said that phrase. It's weird to avoid saying a phrase. It's hard to have a string of words in your head every day for 10 years and not say it out loud. Sometimes I get worried that if people stand too close to me, they'll hear me thinking it. Or I'll accidentally say it in my sleep. I'm not crazy. I didn't do it because I'm crazy. I've been to doctors, specialists, Ryan, they all agree. It's not because I had my fucked up childhood. I was perfectly lucid when I murdered Nancy. I had to plan it all. I had to get away with it. I say I'm not crazy because of my fucked up childhood. I won't let it define me, but I know I had one. It's hard not to think about what my mother did to herself, what she did to me. Not in a selfish, oh mama, why did you kill yourself kind of way. Nobody knows how she did it. Only me. And her. I remember her leaving me home alone and going to the swan shop, the original location. I didn't know that then. I didn't know she was going back to her old family store. I imagine her walking into that place where she practically grew up. All those memories coming back. She selected the sleeping pills, stood at the checkout, making conversation, and bringing it home. She told me they were her medication. I was a kid, I believed her. So she drew herself a bath, and I brought her pill after pill after pill after pill. And after a while, she stopped asking for me to bring her some more. She was like a doll floating in water. Her eyes still half open. I was so scared. I just closed the bathroom door. And I hoped it was a dream. And as my dad arrived home to find her there in the tub, I realized something. If no one sees you do something, you didn't do it. It never happened. As long as you can live with that, you can exist in a world separate from everyone else. I didn't even have to lie to anyone. I just said mama took pills, and really, I was telling the truth, basically. So, imagine, you're a 10 year old kid, your mother dies, the entire town is in mourning, and then this chick comes in out of nowhere and starts acting like everything's gonna be okay including yourself in memorials for my mama like she knew her she didn't know my mama she just moved here and she's everywhere the radio the store my school and then all of a sudden she starts showing up at my house with my dad my dad he's still in mourning lost the love of his life and nancy flashes a smile at him and he totally changes in front of me and even though she's still in a relationship with Ryan, she strings my dad along for months. And the things he did for her. Let me tell you something about my mom, by the way. You know what she loved? More than bird watching, more than Paul, maybe even more than my father and me, music. 
That drawer full of music boxes at my dad's place? Do you know who those belong to? Do you think my dad cares about music boxes? Of course not. Those are my mother's. He gave Nancy one of my mother's music boxes. Like it was nothing. Like it didn't even matter. He needed to be reminded. Tested. What was more important to him? His wife of nearly 20 years? Or Nancy? I'll admit, the thought experiment was more. But comparing your love for your dead wife and your lust for some new young girlfriend, it's just unfair. The only way to know for sure was to make sure both were gone. Even I, at first, thought this was extreme. I'll admit it. Then, Dad brought me to see Ryan during one of his sessions, saying I was having issues with my mother's death. Issues. Can you seriously fucking believe that? My dad, within six hours, was planning on having a dinner with this guy's ex-girlfriend. And he says I was having issues just because I like to get some fresh air in the woods every night? I'm fucking dealing with my shit. He's the one going through a midlife crisis. So I stole Ryan's phone. That was admittedly a little premeditated. I knew I needed a scapegoat for whatever happened to Nancy. And an angry ex seemed like a good guy to pin it on. Even then though, with the phone in my possession, I still wasn't sure I could do it. Killing a person is hard, especially when you're a kid. For instance, I couldn't use my dad's gun. It would be too hard to control the evidence. Plus, it could be linked back to my dad. I didn't want my dad going to prison for what happened to Nancy. The whole thing wasn't about him going to prison. It was about him learning a lesson. So gun, even though it was easy, was not an option. Also, I couldn't get caught. It needed to be somewhere secluded, but somewhere I felt comfortable. The woods, of course, was perfect. And thanks to my dad looking into Mr. Swan's property, I knew about this abnormal spot of land in the woods where no one would trespass. After a painful dinner between my father and Nancy, I was ready. My dad, like a horny teenager, left the house at around 10. Gave me just enough time to walk into the woods, get into position, and text messages to Nancy's beeper. My plan was to annoy her with messages until she drove to Ness Middle School. And on the way there, I would intercept her on the road and kill her. And it worked perfectly. I acted like I was lost, screaming, like I didn't know where I was, like I was scared. And she fell for it. She got off her bike and walked over to help me. And I'll never forget this. When I stabbed her the first time, she apologized, as if she had accidentally walked into my knife, like it was a mistake. And there was this moment between the second and third stab where she realized what was really happening. There was this primal terror in her eyes, looking down at me then. I had turned into something new, dangerous. She couldn't understand it. So she ran, but she didn't get far. She got turned around, ran into a bush, fell over, smashed her face on a rock. She was bleeding through blood in her broken teeth, wheezing. So I shut her up, slashed her throat, out of mercy. Her eyes closed peacefully then, which wasn't how Mama went. So I cut off her eyelids and let her bleed out till morning. 
She was far enough from the road and on private property, so no one would find her unless they knew where she was. I went back home, sat in the living room, still covered in her blood. And out of exhaustion, I laid down on the couch and I fell asleep. When I woke up, I saw my dad standing over me, whispering, asking me, what had I done? And at first, I thought it was a dream. But I could taste the copper in my mouth, like it was full of pennies. And I smiled and I said, for the first time ever, I said, I killed Nancy Lowe. I'll never forget the first time I said that. The room was bathed in gold morning light, as if a new dawn had risen, as if I was including my father for the first time in my secret world. But his eyes grew dark, and at first I thought he was going to slap me, but he collapsed to his knees and fainted. He awoke hours later, unable to deal with this new reality. I saw his face and could tell he wanted to turn me in pleading that what I had done was a mistake. I told him what I'm telling you. This was no mistake. This was planned and executed and done to a point. Who did he love more? Mama or Nancy? I made a third choice when I had considered. He said that he loved me more than anyone, more than anything. To this day, I'm not sure if he said this out of fear or unconditional love, but he promised he would do whatever he could to protect me. I wanted to protect him too. I didn't want him at the crime scene for too long and risk him leaving any evidence that he was there. I only requested that he help me move her body out of the pool of blood into a nearby clearing. He moved slowly like he was walking through mud. His skin was as pale as Nancy's. He was so quiet so I proudly discussed my plan with him. But after I told him I had planned to blame Ryan for the murder, he mentioned that Ryan had been in a bar fight the evening before. He had heard about it over the scanner. I saw the weak glimmer in his eyes as he formulated the plan to blame Paul Swan. I had never felt closer to my father in that moment. As he planted my mother's binoculars at the scene, it gave me an idea of my own. I needed to create as confusing a crime scene as possible. I stole Ryan's cultivator out of the shed and scratched up Nancy's corpse with it. I arranged the stones, the feathers, the bike. I even wrote a little poem using a text-to-speech program on my computer and I put it on Ryan's phone. Anything to leave investigators in a state of confusion. By Saturday night, the scene was done and ready. We sat in a heavy silence as we ate dinner together back at the house. The same table we had shared with Nancy a day earlier. We ate like kings on macaroni and cheese with cut up hot dog pieces. I knew that once the body was found on Monday, things would move incredibly fast. So on Sunday, Dad called in sick and we stayed home. We watched old videos alone. We cried together. It was therapeutic, finally getting all that emotion out. It was our last great day. The next week went by so quickly. Monday, I led my friends to the body. Tuesday, Paul Swan was brought into custody. Wednesday, 
Dad found the bike. Thursday, the police had gotten Ryan's phone records. Friday, the police interviewed Ryan. And Saturday, my dad was being taken away at Nancy's funeral. The efficiency of the Wilson Police Department was surprising, to say the least. I was so scared that my dad was going to confess to something he didn't do. I needed to prove his innocence. So, I called Nancy's home phone from a payphone. I'd gotten her number from Ryan's cell phone. And I sent that package to her family with Nancy's ID. Only the murderer would have something like that. And when dad went to prison for evidence tampering, I was so happy for him. I came to visit him the moment I could. The only thing between us was bulletproof glass. And I wanted to hug him and tell him five years would go by so quickly. But he looked back at me with an emotion I'd only seen once before. On Nancy's face, between the second and third stab. I'll never forget what he said. He said, there is good in you somewhere, son. I just don't see it. I know I had made a mistake getting him locked up. I know that I probably went too far with the crime scene, but I saved him. Didn't he understand that? Nancy was a distraction. She would have broken his heart worse than I ever did. And the more I visited dad, the more his lust for Nancy became a corrupted lost love, turning their relationship into star-crossed lovers only able to find each other in death. Time in there did something to him. After three years, he was someone else. A pleasant shell of what he used to be. He didn't love me anymore. I'm not sure he could really love anyone. During dad's imprisonment, I lived with Chief Jay. He was a good man, though a drunk. I'd never been in a house with alcohol before. Half a bottle of bourbon every night before bed, and he'd start looking like mama. It scared me at first, and I used to try to wake him up from his stupor, not wanting to be found in a house with a dead man. One night he gave me a real scare. I was slapping his face and flicking his nose, and none seemed to work. So I said those four words, for the second time ever. I killed Nancy Lowe. They almost seemed meaningless this time, just vowels and consonants that fit together perfectly to make a phrase that meant nothing. And Chief Jay cocked his crossed eye at me and just said, you couldn't harm a fly. And he fell asleep. I don't know if he remembers that. I feel like he treated me a little differently after that. A little nicer. It's starting to get dark out. You know, what, you know what phrase I've never said before today? I didn't kill Nancy, though. Phoebe came around the station asking about me, asking me what I knew about her cousin. I'm thinking she's starting to put it all together. She asked me what I was doing that evening on October 3rd. All these years later, and you know what? I don't have a real alibi. I was home, alone, asleep, totally unaccounted for from 10 a.m. to when my dad arrived home the next morning. It's only a matter of time before she takes what she has to the cops, and she takes all the glory for finding me out. So, I'm gonna beat her to the punch. I'm standing here in the woods. I have the murder weapon. Come and get me. Take me away. I won't fight. I won't scream. Put me in prison. And my father goes from being known as the sad but affable bartender to being the guy who covered up his insane son's murder. 
Also, Phoebe, if you're still listening to this, you probably aren't, but if you are, I really did want to go trick-or-treating with you that year. Even after everything I had done, you know, I, I was still a kid. <laughs>